John, you want to unmute and you know and introduce yourself, and then and how you met Harry. Sure, it sounds like a movie, How I Met Harry, but uh, I'm John Bellamini, and I want to introduce myself, but more importantly, my uh, my team. And the reason I'm here, Mark, and the reason Harry's here is uh, Yvonne Berry is a part of my team, and she's on the call, and me too is on the call, and Donald, and um, the rest of the team is on the call today, and I'm really grateful for all of you here. Uh, Michelle Pitney is here. Uh, we also have a special guest from Melkin who's listening in. I asked him to join to see what 361 is about, and we're talking about a partnership between Peak and 361, what will help uh, 361 and Harry. So we'll talk about that later. Thank you, Oliver, for joining. Um, and Peak's main mission is to provide access to education, healthcare, and finance, healthcare. finance to the working poor. And it's also about providing um, access to arts and and solutions in the world, and that's why uh, Harry's project seems really amazing. I met him uh, through an event with Wendy Diamond uh, that Yvonne had invited me to, which I think a lot of you know. And again, speaking of the relationship changes, I want to thank Yvonne for all of her work and effort to help Peak. Um, and with that, Harry, uh, the project that uh, you're involved in is amazing. Uh, there's two other team members that are listing, which is Ivan Kaufman and Lisa Morris, who will be helping you. So I don't want to get in the way of the, the Chicago scene because I'm not from Chicago. I'm here to listen and learn. Uh, not to helicopter in, but Harry's already landed, and uh, I think you're going to be really amazed at what he's doing, and we're here to support him. So with that, Harry, uh, most of you should recognize Harry. He's an accomplished actor and uh, uh, many shows, uh, Matrix, which is so cool, Billions, Blacklist, and he's humble. And I didn't actually know he was an actor until the next day when I looked him up, and that's that's what the kind of guy he is. And he's got a beautiful wife, and she's a financial, financial expert, and just a solid couple, and I believe in their project. Uh, but you're, you're in Chicago, so you've got to believe in it. I think you will, and uh, I'd like to find a way to help him continue to be successful. So with that, Harry, go ahead. Well, thank you very much, John, and all the attendees. I wish I could be with you there in Los Angeles, where I sometimes live. Uh, but I should also make it a point to say I'm not in Chicago at the moment. I'm in New York. Uh, to your point, John, uh, finishing up the last couple of days of work on a television show called The Blacklist, uh, where I'm employed most of the year. I also do a show called Billions. And a bunch of other stuff, but, you know, I'm a boy from the south side of Chicago, a town, or south side of town, in an area called South Shore. But the concern that I'm working on now is, is called the, uh, <laughs> was that a, the applause for South Shore right up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Oh, wow, right up, right up. Very cool. So, uh. That, that's uh, that's my homie right there. So uh, I'm working on a project which is called the Bronzeville Renaissance Project. Recently, uh, I think before I met you, John Budwomany, uh, we were waiting to see whether or not we were approved. But we were approved for a grant from the state of Illinois for $26 million to build what I refer to as the black version of the Lincoln Center uh, for the Performing Arts. And that is to say the Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts has been a great inspiration founded by one of my Idols, uh, John Rockefeller. Actually, this is his son that founded, founded that. But it provided a central home for already existing arts institutions in New York, to wit, American Ballet Theater, uh, Metropolitan Opera, uh, Juilliard, a number of other uh, places. Of course, the, during, during, before our pandemic, uh, they would do some 3,000 events per year. That's an extraordinary amount of activity and output. 
And I thought that uh, as an inspiration, it might be very cool, since no such place existed, to chronicle much of the cultural wealth that America has produced, which is in the form of black performing arts. That is to say, the music, the dance, uh, the, the, the oratory, the, some of the great speeches, some of the great literature, but in terms of performing arts, some of that work is really the only indigenous art forms to the United States of America. There's a certain duck decoy, I believe, in the middle states that is also given credit. But beside that, uh, the, all, all the other forms that were brought here were brought here largely from Europe uh, or had already been existing from other parts of Asia and so forth with the Native Americans. But that said, uh, I, I was inspired that the National Museum of African American History and Culture in D.C., the Smithsonian, got such great support, and it highlights uh, important contributions. It dwarfs any other such a museum for African American history, but there is no competition for the cultural history, which, again, deserves uh, a world-class facility to exhibit it and uh, all of the, the uh, what can we call, archives, preservation and perpetuation uh, that all other similarly uh, themed museums uh, have. And so this is a living museum, and it's called the Lillian Marcy Performing uh, Center for the Performing Arts. And its companion is the African American Museum for the Performing Arts. We intend to give a home to the History Makers, which is based in Chicago, run by our dear friend Juliana Richardson, uh, and which is uh, on the, the president of that board is my wife, Gina, who uh, Yvonne introduced uh, me to. I'm sorry, my wife introduced me to Yvonne and therefore John a couple of weeks ago. And what I was very impressed with is the degree of enthusiasm uh, that John and Yvonne and, and his friends that night shared with me about what it is that we're trying to do. We believe that it is an answer to prayer, and I don't want to get all religious uh, about it, but I'm a former seminarian. I studied to be a priest. Uh, I attended the largest high school preparatory seminary in the world at the time, Quigley Preparatory Seminary South there in Chicago, now St. Rita. Uh, but that said, uh, the, the Pope once came and visited when, when I was uh, 15 years old in 1979. But we always had a phrase which was ora et labora, which means work and prayer, prayer and work. And I was, I was introduced to this idea of theological aesthetics at that time, that the way that a people, the black people in particular, know God is through cultural forms. We have a particular way. Of, of expressing and celebrating, uh, of, of moving, and, and these deserve to be perpetuated and to be acknowledged, to be codified, and to be filmed in a way that can, can last for a very long time, forever, frankly. And so to that end, I thought it might be a good idea on the South Side of Chicago, much as this was born in Bronzeville in particular, one time called the Black Metropolis, that we could put an institution that would rival anything, not quite the big footprint of, of some of these other uh, places that we have uh, in the world, in Chicago, in New York. Uh, but in terms of its, of its comprehensive idea, its approach, that we could have artist housing, that we could have eventually a conservatory where you could learn advanced forms of these arts, uh, these cultural expressions. But you shouldn't have to know what the best of black dance is, black music is. 
and leave Chicago where much of it was invented, that we can actually bring the mountain to Muhammad in that sense, and that we don't have to leave home. Uh, it would be the equivalent, for example, of people in Saudi Arabia having to get their oil from Europe. They, you know, they, 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 they may as well be able to get it where it is produced. And so we think that that's the same case here. So that with the idea of education and arts therapy and getting into schools at a very early age, so much of the wealth that we have on the South Side of Chicago goes untapped. Uh, it's, uh, you know, they always say the richest place in the whole world is, is the graveyard. People go to their graves not having found a way to express what it is that they have to say. But we can fix that. And I don't think it takes a huge investment. The $26 million from the state of Illinois, while generous, uh, is certainly desperately needed. And we're going to need a whole lot more. We're going to build the retail, the residence, the, 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 the uh, artist housing, the uh, rehearsal rooms, the parking. Uh, these things have to be considered in a modern landscape. There's no credible theater company that I'm aware of that has been built in the last 20 years or so that does not take these things into account. For example, in New York City in Brooklyn, my dear friends at Theater for a New Audience, uh, I may as well shamelessly plug myself here. They're going to be giving me their Samuel Scripps Award next week, by the way, for achievement through Shakespeare and, and, and uh, theater. Before. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I am um, very deeply, deeply moved by what they were able to do. They built a $70 million facility in Brooklyn at the time I had the fourth most available real estate in the whole country. Brooklyn did uh, as of about 20 years ago. And now it's, it's you know, it's a, a mecca. Uh, the Barclays Center sprung up after they built the Polanski Shakespeare Center. Uh, BAM is over there already, of course. Uh, the restaurants came up. Housing came up, big luxury uh, hotels, and so not, you know everything that you would need for a modern urban uh, center uh, in, in in a neighborhood. And thir thirty-five million dollars is what the city of New York gave them. I mean, they they I won't even say they gave it to them. The New York the, the politicians in New York, the city of New York realized the value that happens that almost spontaneously uh, grows when you bring culture to a neighborhood. I, I have seen it very rarely fail, where if you build a theater, if you build some form of an entertainment center, and you give people the opportunity to see themselves represented, you give people an opportunity to, to discuss ideas and to see those ideas embodied and enacted, where you give them something to do, where you give them a form, uh, everything uh, follows. And so I think that really the arts have always been the way. A lot of people are concerned I know my, my brother over there from the South Side knows this, this idea about gentrification, you know, and, and, and the people build these neighborhoods and then interlopers come in and take the neighborhoods and, and take them over. Well, you know, there's a flip side to that coin that if you improve the neighborhood and if you are, if, if the people who are improving it are from the neighborhood, uh, then that's a good thing. Everybody's property value rises. The tax base is increased. The government realizes that we have actually something to contribute, that this is not a charity, although it is a nonprofit uh, leading the way here. But we know that culture is the way, is the conduit, can be uh, the really the rising tide that lifts all boats. And so after I heard about 361 and knowing that much of the interest there, and, and by the way, also uh, IIT has been very 
helpful and enthusiastic since they learned about this several months ago now with the help of my dear friend in Chicago, a, a legendary philanthropist by the name of Susan Manilow, introduced me to the president of IIT. They've been very willing to help. And uh, we want to bring the South Side back to its former glory. And we don't think that that's an impossible task. And so, you know, I think when you remove the oxygen from the room and people start suffocating, it, it, it surprises me that people are shocked that, that people begin to suffocate. If you remove culture from a community and you take away the ability to express people, people begin to use that energy, which could otherwise be creative, which could otherwise be constructive, and it becomes destructive. My dear friend Julie Tamor talks about when you put a lid on nature, it continues to grow, but it becomes perverted. And so we're trying to let the sun shine back into the south side of Chicago. And we think, honestly, with the help of, of John and his leadership and, and this group, 361, and, and the people who I've already met uh, through meeting these people, Yvonne and John and Michelle Diamond and, 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 the, and, the, uh, and the people I've already met, that we have a great opportunity uh, to, to contribute to something uh, that can be to the benefit of the whole wide world and not the least of which will be to the residents of the South Side of Chicago and the children who will one day be able to lead it. So thank you for your time. I'm interested in conversations. I will be in Chicago in a couple of weeks, uh, and I hope that I get a chance to meet very many of you, uh, if not there, then somewhere else uh, in, in this country. So thank you very much. Thank you, Harry. Um, and just to, to announce something. Harry, to support you, we're going to put together a $5,000, I'm putting together a $5,000 scholarship uh, program to help interns uh, help your project. And I'd like to work on the details with you, but I'd like to, and this will be up to, I think, Lauren and yourself in, in Chicago to figure out, I want to put $5,000 down to have interns work on helping your project be successful and having them be from the South Side. So hopefully that will help the project and help you get things off the ground. That's outstanding. Thank you very much. Beautiful. Beautiful. You're welcome. John. So. We were talking about what excites and scares us. I guess I, I know what excites, right? You, you just spoke about it. Um, but stick around because we're going to have uh, – this will be a conversation, but that's, that's inspiring. Thank you. Uh, well, Howard, speaking of inspiring, uh, you did some great things uh, with 1871, a leading uh, in many ways, uh, if you don't mind sharing your story. But, but also I want to start talking about what scares us. Well – so my name is Howard Tolman, and I'm the, uh, as you heard, the former CEO of 1871. 1871 is the uh, number one tech incubator in the world for the last, I don't know, four years or so. There's pre-COVID, we had about 500 startup companies in one place uh, in the Merchandise Mart, which is right down the street here. Uh, and the numbers are sort of off the charts in terms of job creation and a variety of other things. Uh, 1871, the name, came from the Chicago Fire, and people often ask us why you would name a new facility after the Chicago Fire. It wasn't the, the brightest moment in the city's history, but the truth is that it was the rebirth after the fire that put Chicago back on the map, and we uh, uh, that was when the skyscraper was invented, uh, the Twinkie, a very important food group, uh, the, the Ferris wheel. Uh, and so the thought was the technology for the – yes, it was. It was. The, uh, the Tootsie Roll. Um, 
in any event, the idea was that technology represented for the city the next driver, much like uh, the fire, the post-fire renaissance period represented. So that was that challenge. And uh, it's been quite uh, successful, and, and really it has advanced the city uh, in terms of the global footprint for uh, technology. Uh, one of the problems was that we had uh, very little diversity. You had uh, all these uh, terrific entrepreneurs and very little representation among every group you could pick other than, you know, sort of traditional uh, white uh, young entrepreneurs. So we built incubators for women, for veterans, for Hispanics, uh, for African-Americans uh, as part of 1871. And we were still short because uh, the tech companies would say we can't get, uh, uh, you know, diverse employees. And so uh, the next uh, project after um, 1871, I went to IIT, as you heard Harry say, and built a building there to train uh, the 10,000 students, most of which, by the way, are first in their family to go to college. And so coming in in the lowest economic quartiles and leaving as engineers was a staggering, life-changing event for all these kids, uh, except that they were all nerds. And uh, we used to say that the, uh, the introverted among them uh, would look at their shoes when they talked to you, and the extroverter would look at your shoes. And so we, we, fought, we thought, uh, how can we raise their perspective? So we built this center to train them to be entrepreneurs. And the wave, the, uh, the most important thing was, uh, you know, alumni would come back and they would say, uh, they love me in the cubicle. I'm a great coder. I'm a great engineer. But they won't think of me as management because they didn't have all these people skills. So we built this facility to teach them to talk and present and to think about business development and all these skills, and, um, and it's been very successful. And it's created a pipeline uh, just <clears throat> moments away from the loop uh, for all the tech companies that are here to get uh, diverse uh, employees. So that was, that was a critical sort of next step. And then the real sort of the follow-on to that was we discovered that the real getting off point was when the kids were 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. And so we built two facilities. Uh, one was a city that they could come run, which was called Exchange City. Literally, there were 10 or 11 businesses there, and the kids would come after studying in school and run this city, and they'd be the mayor and all these things. Uh, and then we went into a couple of the high schools and built classrooms to train them to be entrepreneurs. And this was maybe the critical insight. Um, it used to be not so many years ago that the only way out of some of these uh, blighted areas was uh, rock or jock. You were either an athlete or you were a musician. Uh, we were able to successfully sort of explain that there was a third vertical now called entrepreneur, and uh, it might not have caught on except that every musician in the world and every jock in the world now thinks of themselves as an entrepreneur as well. So we just sort of hopped on that wave, and that's honestly how we hope to re-inspire the kids uh, before they get off the track uh, who are coming up uh, in these new pipelines. So I'll stop there. Great. Well, I still want you guys to talk about scares us, but we'll get to that next. All right, Bob, you're up. 
Hey, everybody. I'm Bob Bernstein, uh, back in Chicago, where I raised my family and enjoyed 30 years here, um, and now disappointingly living in Miami and ruining days like this, where I would just so love to have myself completely soaked, but have a bus pick me up, which was, which was awesome. So. Um, uh, a couple of things I just want to touch on. First, for Chicago specifically, um, uh, and I think some of us uh, who are at a point in life where um, it's hard to believe how blessed we are uh, to have been able to do some pretty cool things and be in a position where the only thing that really matters is what imprint we really leave going forward. Um, and when I look around and see an awful lot of very young, very energetic, very thoughtful faces um, trying to deal with some of the problems that we have, it, it and the kids that we deal with give me great encouragement that um, all is not lost by a long shot. Um, so um, here in Chicago, uh, my oldest son, who's a new tree grad um, and a, an unbelievable jazz trombonist, uh, and I started a foundation called Guitars Over Guns organization, for those of you locals uh, may well have heard of us by now, um, but uh, he went to school at Miami, UM, uh, Miami, at uh, both the undergrad, uh, grad school, and doctoral level. So um, has a, a very strong um, teaching sense, uh, but most importantly, the power of music to really engage kids. And, and music, it's really hard, if somebody's singing your favorite song, to hate them. Really hard. And it's an amazing barrier breaker. Um, and... Uh, what it does at the end of the day, uh, even in the toughest of neighborhoods, is that it exposes biases. It uncovers them. And once you've uncovered them, it is actually possible to overcome them. But that takes a lot of work. It takes an adult relationship. It takes an understanding of the social-emotional toils of living under really tough circumstances. But I have to tell you, once you've reached them and you realize there is zero difference in potential, there is not one aspect of any of the now 8,000 kids that we have moved through life in a meaningful way at the middle school level, which I always say is on the barbell, it's where the hands are off where they need to be. <laughs> we, we do a great job with preschool and we do a great job with high school and pre-college, but somehow the most impressionistic kids that are the best recruitment agents for the gangs of this world are, are, are just left to their own devices. And coming home after school when it's, even if they had two parents, the least likely they'd be home because they'd be at work. So dealing with kids with music after school when they're the most vulnerable turned out to be a very magical sort of formula. And it has uh, brought the organization to a point where uh, we are now very strong. We're extremely strong in Miami. We are now getting extremely strong in Chicago we are now in a deep partnership with the Obama family, with the foundation, with the center. Uh, Mike Strottmeyer and I have become literally brothers as we uh, march down the path of uh, probably building a studio in the center, but in some very meaningful way, taking the studio we have in Bronzeville now. So for Harry and everybody that's uh, got the uh, Bronzeville uh, pangs of culture uh, and how important music is, we're, we are boots on the ground in the Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in the basement, taking kids that have even dropped out of school if necessary and teaching them all of the engineering that's necessary, all of the, uh, you know, it goes way past making the music from a, um, 
uh, lyric or musicality sense, but the production of music is a tremendous career path, So, uh, which is a lot easier than music itself, by the way. The industry of entertainment and hospitality has tremendous opportunities. Um, so that's our boots on the ground. Um, it, it scares me that the schools have really dissipated, so you wanted a scare. My, my worst fear is that, in a sense, uh, what's co- what COVID has done is really brought to light the fact that technology does not possibly substitute human touch in a classroom, and we seem to be running in that direction. Technology can do a lot of great things, um, but and it got us through. Um, in fact, uh, really, in many ways, when COVID hit, just imagine we're an organization and all of our musicians have no schools to teach in and no venues to perform in. And within three weeks, we were able to turn mostly tech deserts into getting the AT&Ts of the world to put in hotspots everywhere we needed them, finding how many smart devices were in these schools, which, frankly, the resources are, are striking. It's just nobody gets access to them. And so there's the, the bureaucracy is really tough, and that's a scary thing to have to break through that. The teachers' union is powerful. Um, I hope I'm not stepping on anybody's toes here, but I'm too old to care. It's a really, really violent interface for our kids between them and us. And, uh, you know, folks that are coming through, running for office now, I think, are starting to understand that. Um, so we're supporting anybody that sort of has that vision. Um, so, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll leave it at that from the GoGo perspective, but I'm going to give you a teaser uh, that for lots of reasons I happen to now be through Stanford University and some uh, historical work with a group called the East-West Institute involved in a, a not-new paper uh, but a report from the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, which um, just as a show of hands, anybody want to tell me uh, if they know when the Academy of Arts and Sciences was created? I was equally embarrassed to not know this, but it was 1780 by John Adams on the back of the Constitution for the very purpose of continually vetting what was known to be an infant democracy that was constantly going to need revisiting. And that academy has been brought to task over the many, now almost 250 years of us, uh, at the Civil War and at the crisis during Martin Luther King to have to engage again because we had reached an abyss and we are there again. Our respect for constitutionality and Congress is at single digits and was in 2014 at its absolute low, 8%. So all that resulted in the creation of a paper called Our Common Purpose, and we can talk about it later, but I'm just going to give you the name. I want you to look it up. I want you to write it down, because I don't care what any of us are doing. It's a paper whose time has come. It was published right before COVID, so it frankly never saw the light of day. And now we have finally, in a sense, a common enemy between the white hats and the black hats. And as Steve talked about earlier, it's likely going to be all the freedom economies versus all of the command economies and the authoritarianism. And frankly, if it takes that to get us all to revisit our democratic principles, unfortunately, it's probably going to be the case, but it could have been the best blessing possible. I'm Ukrainian from a little village called Lipova. I I can't even imagine what, what my friends and family who still can't get out are dealing with daily 
But that existential threat is the one reason why we should all read this paper. And then before we all leave, think about how we can collectively bring that message forward. Anybody know William Dawes as a name? Anybody know Paul Revere? They rode out at the same time. They rode out at the same time. Why do we all know Paul Revere? Because he had a network. He was a pebble in the pond. Everybody he talked to rippled through. I dare say everybody in this room is a Paul Revere. So I implore you to read the paper, and I'm thrilled to talk to any of you as to how I got involved in it. But a lot is going to happen with it, and I'd like for all of you to um, just please give it a, a, a enough thought to get through the introduction, and then uh, happy to chat with anybody. So, you know what we do with those? You, you are now about to lead a deep dive. That's the way we roll. We all read it, and then you'll uh, we'll assemble the panel, and you'll teach us about it, and we'll discuss it. Uh, Harry or uh, Howard, do you want to just talk about what scares you? Harry, do you, do you want to speak or let give it to Howard? Well, I, I to, uh, thank you. Sure, I'm I'm happy to uh, to say that nothing scares me. I I, I think that uh, every once in a while, I, I guess I'm maybe a little crazy in this way, but every once in a while, if you stay in it long enough, your number comes up, your turn comes round. And I think that uh, that this is the case for culture, that this is the case for certainly the, the, the case down uh, state Illinois and in the city of Chicago. The people are hungry for what it is uh, that we are presenting. And to a large extent, they asked for it. And so I'm not afraid of anything. I'm not afraid of failure because I don't think we will. I'm not afraid of dying because this is the way that we can all live forever, those of us who have contributed uh, to these performing arts. I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of uh, of, of the uh, disapproval of the people because I know that they approve of it. And so uh, I guess I'm only looking forward. <laughs> I guess if, if there's one thing that might be afraid of, it's a disappointment. But I, I don't think that I will be. And so... Uh, so no fear, just just uh, just the challenge, and I think we're up to it. Well, I'm afraid. <laughs> I I think that. Um, is this? Am I on camera now? Okay. No, that's all right. I don't want to. I don't want to stand up because I'm old. Um, Look, I think that uh, the city, the obligation of the city uh, in order to create a the fertile ground for culture, for entertainment, for all the things that we're talking about, um, you need to commit to having uh, control over crime. You need to have uh, commit to having control over education and of health care. And frankly, we're lights uh, across the whole city, but particularly in uh, the south side, um, in all three of those areas, and it's um, it's hard to have kids who used to say that uh, school was the most boring place they went. We got that fixed, I think, in some respects. Uh, but now to literally be afraid uh, of the environment that they're having to travel in and move around in, and so um, I'm I'm concerned, and and we see it 
in every one of the businesses. We have about, uh, as I said, four or 500 businesses. Um, they're trying to deal with their workforce, public transportation issues. Uh, it's, a, it's very complicated, and I'm, uh, I couldn't be more of a supporter of trying to build um, the cultural assets and all of the other things that we're doing uh, but I think we have to figure out how we're going to get our arms around the random uh, violence that uh, is a big issue in the city. And so um, we're trying to uh, do some of that. Uh, we're not getting a lot of uh, help from CPS, frankly, and you heard the conversation about the teachers union. Uh, that's been very challenging. Uh, we're not getting much help from uh, this mayor. But there was an article just recently uh, that said, um, you know, you can't uh, uh, defeat someone with no one. And one of the saddest things is uh, this is a group that at least we see starting to step up to hopefully address some of these issues. Most of the, you know, substantial business community in the city of Chicago has been sitting on the sidelines. And so one of the things we're trying to figure out is what kind of initiatives and things can we do to re-engage them, to make them want to reinvest uh, in the city? Because if we don't have those uh, fundamental investments, uh, then the city is just not going to thrive. It's not going to go forward. So this is when we widen the conversation for at least a few minutes. Any comments, questions on what you've heard? And I'm going to be Phil Donahue and walk around. No, you have no idea what he's talking about when he says he's walking around. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling our age, Mark. You're telling our age. Someone said, who's on first? Hi, I'm Yvette Moyo. And as someone who grew up in the Chicago theater community after college, after being a theater minor, and always admiring uh, Harry Lennox, um, I really do commend the effort. I was in some of the early com earlier conversations. We wrote articles about this attempt. So the state support is no small thing, but it does take uh, additional support. Uh, when I when I pointed out on the bus that high rise that I used to live in, uh, Harry lived in that high rise too. Uh -huh. So you know this is a South Shore day. Right. right um, and, and let me say this. Um, about the young ladies, um, I don't know why I'm missing. I'm, 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 I'm miss. I'm uh, getting uh, Christina. Yeah, Christina. Christina and her sister, her two sisters, uh, were in a program where I was on the board of directors, and she was the youngest at six years old to enter a program that started for eight-year-olds in the performance arts. So there's something is spiritual happening here. Um, Harry talked about it. I do believe in it. I believe that. We have the power to do anything that we want, and I don't think that it's any small mistake that we're all in this place together. And so I just want to commend Harry for his effort, but commend the gathering that you uh, came to the South Side and just still listening for what's possible on the South Side. Hey, another thing that we we heard, and, and can I call you Andy, Andrea? Yeah. Do you mind sharing? Because I think you have, I think Venture has an important part to play. And this, this renaissance, not just performing arts, you want to maybe share your thoughts that we heard Which earlier ones, today? The scared ones or the happy ones? I like both. No, no, I don't have any scared ones. I, I, you know, I'm a 
and Howard knows this, I, I'm a big positive fan about what's happening in Chicago, standing up, sorry. Um, and uh, I think we have a lot of work to do. There's no question about it. But I do think that we're on the right track with a lot of the things. I think you've seen some of the things that are happening. We talked earlier about the venture work that we're doing at Cleveland Avenue to invest in black, uh, Latinx, and women entrepreneurs and companies. You've heard from um, entrepreneurs like the two sisters who are, or the two young women who are working in their, the sanctuary. So um, our, we have a lot of work to do, but there's a lot of people committed to doing the work. And I also think um, that we have to, really what you have to do is really be committed to support it. So Harry's project um, on the South Side is going to be a powerful um, incubator and initiator of other positive investment. If you, there, you look around the city, we have hubs of that happening, whether it's uh, 61st and Woodlawn, where we put the Jewel and the Metro Squash, and there's housing now, and uh, Leon Walker's going to do another development with the bank there, whether it's Pullman, which 10 years ago was a wasteland and now has um, all kinds of development going down there, led by David Doig, including the Pullman National Monument, whether it is Inglewood and all of the things that are happening, or not Inglewood, Bronzeville, all the things that are happening in Bronzeville. We can do this, but you have to be committed. You have to be focused. You have to be not be depressed by some of the challenges that we face. The, the pandemic stepped us back a long way, um, particularly with our kids. So, and the work that Howard is doing with our young people on entrepreneurship is really important. So the main thing I would say is uh, that it's don't get discouraged by some of the bad news. And that's the other thing. Mostly all we hear are the bad news. You know, you have to come into the community to see what you said, saw today to see the good news. Um, and uh, because it's really easy to tell you the bad news stories, it's harder to tell the good news stories. Um, and it just requires a fair amount of work. The, the barriers that people in the neighborhoods, we talked about the access to capital barriers, um, the barriers that some of our young people have in terms of access to opportunity um, are there, but we can remove them. So uh, I, want, I commend you all for being here, and um, I have no fears, um, only optimism. Some in the room didn't uh, hear, didn't get a chance to know who you are and what what you're doing with uh, Cleveland Avenue. Just a few words on that. Sure, I'm sorry, I um, didn't want to repeat myself, um, but I'm happy to do that because I am a trial lawyer, and so much like actors, any opportunity to talk about what I'm doing is a welcome. Um, so uh, I run, I manage a fund at Cleveland Avenue. Cleveland Avenue is a venture uh, firm led by Don Thompson, the former CEO of. Uh, of McDonald's, and um, in addition to two larger funds that we have there, we have a $100 million fund focused on food and beverage. Um, one of the companies there that you may have heard of is Beyond Meat, um, and um, we also have another $500 million uh, fund focused on food and beverage, but we also have the fund that I lead, which is Cast Us, which is a fund focused on black, Latinx, and women entrepreneurs. It's a $70 million fund. We now, we launched last year, we have 12 companies. We are focused on um, uh, early growth companies, so we don't do seed capital. We're looking at companies that have been operating for a while, uh, hopefully with about $500,000 of revenue. Um, we have companies that have less than that, but that's our target. Our check sizes are typically between 500000 and $2 million. 
and we are looking to uh, uh, focus our efforts on companies that are either located in or economically positively impacting communities on the south and west side uh, of Chicago. Perfect. Thank you. Come join our 361 firm community of investors and thought leaders. We have a lot of events created by the community as we collaborate on investments and philanthropic interests. Join us.